recording in progress. Let us uh let us join in prayer. Praise God. Let us ask the Lord this morning for him to uh gather with us and for his dwelling to be uh present with us. Amen. Um the Bible says that he will dwell with us and he will be our God and he will walk among us. <clears throat> this is not saying in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus himself says, um, the, the one who walks in the midst of the lampstands, right? The Lord walks amongst us as he did in the cool of the day in, in the garden. See, the, the establishment of the church, i.e. the temple, is basically the re it, it's the reestablishment of eden from the garden because the presence of the lord was with them in the garden in the cool of the day and the lord was walking with them and so today the lord walks in our midst that's the reestablishment of the garden of eden and this is why the bu- the book of revelation talks about um that they will be able to eat from the tree of life um, and from the throne comes rivers of water. Did not Jesus prophesy about that in the book of John, where he says, "Out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water." Well, where do where does the water come from? It comes from the throne. That's what it says in Revelation. Well, where is the throne? The throne is in our midst. That's why the Bible says, uh, "Come ye therefore boldly to the throne of grace." Amen. Where was the throne in the Old Testament? The throne was in the Holy of Holies, seated above the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the Mercy Seat. Okay. It was in the Holy of Holies. Okay, well, that that temple got destroyed in 70 AD. So where is the new temple today? We are the temple. And the throne is in the temple. It's something that we approach by the Spirit. And the rivers of living water flow from the throne. Amen. Y'all with me? Oh, I'll wait. Amen. <coughs> All right, so let let us um let us join in prayer. I, I want our I want our uh, agreement and as I've said before, let us uh, make sure that we give the utmost attention to um um, just eliminate any distractions as possible. And, and as I've said before, and I just want to stir up as a reminder, not to be annoying or an irritation. Uh, but if, if you have, you cannot avoid doing some things, maybe because of certain duties, you just have to attend to that's understandable. But by all means, if you are, if you can avoid them, then do so. And that that is my uh, uh, my strong uh, recommend uh, encouragement, um, and the reason why. Let, let me give this one example, and then we'll pray. When you are, for example, uh, communing with the Lord in your private time, and you're praying. <clears throat> how effective is that time of prayer and that flow of grace? Right when maybe you're attending to text messages or you're trying to do your taxes 
it doesn't work out very well, does it? Um, and uh, I had posted something in the chat where Apostle Joshua Selman said that when one is playing, right, one is playing with an instrument. He was talking about how, uh, uh, you know, instruments, music is really a language, like tongues. Um, but when you're playing that instrument, it comes fundamentally from the heart, from the spirit. And if that the spirit that you carry finds expression through that instrument. And so where there's a, the anointing is dependent upon two things. Most importantly, it's, in, it's uh, dependent upon environment. An environment is based upon the condition of the heart. The conditions of the hearts of the people that are gathering together set the environment and the tone of the place. Amen. And that's why I don't know if you've ever attended a church that just lollygags and they're very irreverent and they make everything like a joke. You cannot sense the presence of God in the slightest. The presence of God just won't come because the presence of God giving attendance is 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 dependent upon the condition of the heart. And those hearts are what set that environment, the tone of that environment. Okay, but he was also talking about the need for excellence, that if you're playing an instrument and you happen to start hitting the wrong keys, right, if for every, every, anyone here that is a musician knows when you're hitting a wrong key. If you're in the key of B and you start hitting a key that, that is not in that chord, then you won't create a harmonious sound and it creates, you know, um, just a disruption. And so the point in bringing that up is that when there are sounds and noises that are not in accord with the harmonious environment, then it creates disruption. Does that make sense? And that's kind of the separation between order and chaos. Uh, things that are, are not in accord with, with order, things that are not... Um, harmonious are chaotic and that's why jesus spoke and he emphasized the importance of the secret place when you go into the secret place what do he say close the door why because he needs the elimination of distractions the jesus said it from him his own mouth because the 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 degree to which you get blessed by god is is environmentally based if the environment is chaotic then there will be no flow of grace. You have to have a harmonious environment. And so this is why, um, anyways, <coughs> I'll leave it at that. So let's, with that said, let's foster that harmonious environment and begin to one mind and one accord pray. Amen. That's why it says in Acts chapter 2, when they're all in one mind and one accord, then the Spirit of God came, right? And so to be in accord is to be in alignment with Christ the head, right? Because Christ the head, look, um, Jesus is still alive and well today, okay? He's not appearing in the physical flesh, but the, see, what you have to understand is Christ was not Jesus' last name. Y'all understand that? Christ was not Jesus' last name. Jesus was his name. 
that wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name, not names, a name, namely Jesus, that is above every name. So Christ was not included as a name. Christ is a, is a description of the person Jesus. Okay, what made him the Christ was that Christ is Christos. That's the Greek word, which means anointed. So Jesus was anointed as priest, king, and prophet. He was all three. Okay, he is our high priest. And so Jesus was that anointed one. And he was anointed, as the Bible says, with the oil of gladness. But Jesus is no longer here today. So he has anointed people as his extension. Amen? Ministers who carry the kingdom as his extension so that when there is a gathering, there is the kingdom present. And Christ, by virtue of that gathering, is in the midst. Does that make sense? Jesus can't be here but in the flesh, but he comes through the Spirit by the Christ, by the anointing. Amen? I hope that makes sense. So when we pray, when we pray, when we come together, don't treat it as this nonchalant thing. Jesus Christ, the Christ, is in our midst. Jesus physically is not. Christ, though, is in the midst. Right? <clears throat> this is why lukewarm churches never experience the Christ. Because they don't have eyes to discern. You know, in the book of Corinthians, that there were a number of Christians that died. And Paul says, he didn't, Paul didn't say, oh, this was the devil, you got to rebuke it. He says, no, you're, you're dying. He says, some of, you are, some of you are sick and some of you died. He says, because, and this was as a result of God's discipline to the Corinthian church, because you are not discerning the body. What do you mean I wasn't discerning the body? What was going on was that they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. They were just viewing communion as dinner. This is just bread. This is just wine. They were treating what was common, what was holy, as if it was common. So you, you ever meet, meet those uh, pastor's kids that love to sit in the pew and play around on their phone and just, you know, like this? They're like, oh, man, when is this stuff over? Right? They have that bratty attitude. Oh, I just can't wait to get out, man. Well, they're not discerning the body. They're taking, they're viewing what is holy and they're saying that it's common. It's just, it's just whatever. I mean, Jesus is just in the midst of us. That, that's, so you have to have that understanding. And I want that understanding ingrained in you. Because we are what? The body? Right? Are we the body? No one knows. <laughs> are, are we the body? Yes. Okay, awesome. Now notice I said we, not you. No single individual is the body. 
Paul says we are members of the body. He says we are members, individual members of that self-same body. So the body is a collection. People say, I, I, I am the church. No, you're not. You're not the church. Well, who do you say, who do you think you are to say? Well, the Bible says that you're not. The Bible says you're a living stone. The Bible doesn't say you're the temple. It says you're the living stone built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being his cornerstone. So li several living stones are needed to make a temple. You cannot be the temple by yourself. You cannot be the body by yourself. You are a member. You're a hand. That's why Paul says the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. So if I chop off my hand, can I say this is the summation of Greg's body? No, it's a member of the body. Amen. And so <clears throat> with that said, let us as the body join in prayer and ask for the Lord to be present and his blessing to, to come. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord, for we thank you for the body. We thank you for its various expressions, Lord. We thank you um, for the feet, for the hands, for the eyes, for the ears, for the mouth, for every single part of the body, Lord, that <coughs> is uh, engrafted, Lord, um, engrafted in because of your precious blood, Lord, that was shed for the sins of many. Lord, we know that like Paul says, whosoever um, joins himself with a harlot becomes one with that harlot. Lord, we thank you that we are not one with a harlot. We thank you, Lord, that we are not um, people, Lord, married to the world. We thank you that we have been married to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we have been made holy by the blood of Christ. That we have a hope and we have an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. We thank you, God, that we are made partakers of the grace of God and the life of God. We thank you, Lord, that we are not a dead carcass, but we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are made into a holy temple as your holy people. And God, we ask that your presence would be in the midst of your people. Lord, we, we don't desire for the temple to be characteristic of the one of old in the Old Testament where the glory had departed. We don't want your glory to depart from us, Lord. We want your glory, Lord, alive and well, your Shekinah glory, your manifest glory in the midst of the temple and for rivers of living water to flow from the throne of grace. <clears throat> Lord, may we not do anything, God, that would offend you or offend your presence. But may we, Father, with pure hearts and clean hands and not lifting up our souls unto idols, come unto the heel of the Lord and to worship you. God, your word says, who is he that may ascend to the hill of the Lord, but he that has clean hands and a pure heart and has not sworn unto idols nor lifted his soul unto vanity. God, may we be those people who have pure hearts, Lord, washed from a guilty conscience, washed, O Lord, from all filthiness of the flesh. 
<coughs> Lord, we pray for the powers of the age to come to reside in our midst. Father, may we taste of the grace of God. May we taste of the powers of your kingdom. May we taste, Lord, of your goodness. May we see Christ high and lifted up and his train filling the temple like Isaiah who's seen the Lord high and lifted up. May we too, Lord, see you high and lifted up this day. <coughs> Lord, your name is above every name. You're the only true pontentate. You're the only true emperor. You're the only true Lord. You're the only true king. And Lord, for that we bless you and we glorify you. <coughs> God, be pleased to be in us. Be pleased, Lord, to dwell in our midst. Be pleased, Lord, and speak this day. Speak this day. And may we, Lord, as your people, continue to grow in love and continue to grow, Lord, as a holy temple, Lord. Yes, Father, thank you even now for your presence. <coughs> Father, I pray that you would afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Correct and inform and educate, Lord, your people. Educate them, O oh God, by the Holy Ghost. O oh Lord, yes, we humble ourselves before you. Have your way, God. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Deliver us from all bondage and all the Satan snares. And may your word, O Lord, uplift us and give us strength and establish us and root us, Lord. Admonish us. May we abide in your word and your word in us. Like you said to the young men in, in the uh, church by the mouth of John, I write unto you, young men, for his word is in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. <coughs> Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. God is good. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I uh, feel the presence of the Lord. I feel his presence amongst us. And th that's what it's about, amen? Because the devil will try to get you like a roller coaster up and down because of how you feel. Let me just say this. There, there's a difference of feeling the Lord. You feel the Lord by the Spirit. And there's a difference between that and getting all in your feelings in the soul. You know, you know those people, you know, let me give you a perfect example. You know those people that are drunkards? They, they drink and they get all up in their feelings and they play their, you know, favorite soul songs. They're all, and then they'll, they'll hang on you and like, oh, I, I love you, man, I love you. They're all in their soulish feelings. <clears throat> you want to <laughs> you you want to know the difference? You you ever hear a worldly song? <clears throat> Not because you turn it on, because you shouldn't be uh, you know uh, listening to that same trash that you used to. Um, but when you play a worldly song, why is it? Unless not. Oh, excuse me. When you maybe go to a store. 
and, and you hear a worldly song that you used to bump back in the day, why is it so easy for it to stay stuck in your head? But when it comes to worship songs, it's not a thing that sticks in your head. It don't, it don't keep playing in your head without you intentionally singing it. See, when it comes to spiritual songs, it don't stay stuck in your head. You have to intentionally pray. And sometimes you have to pry it out of your mouth. Amen. The sacrifice of praise. You know why? Because there's nothing about worship songs that ministers to the flesh. But there's everything about fleshly, soulish songs that stay stuck in your head. Why? Because it ministers to your flesh. You know, I was getting a haircut uh, just the other day with my barber. And uh, they were playing Tupac. And he used to be one of my favorite rappers. And I'm trying to converse. You know, my barber, he's a brother. But you might be thinking, well, why is that music being played? Because it it wasn't his... uh, it's not his barber shop. He, he's just working for someone. And uh, so I'm trying to talk to him and it. I'm trying to tune this out. Literally, I'm having to fight to tune out these songs. Because they just got, they had Tupac on like on a playlist. And I'm like, you know, it's it, it, I'm wrestling to not, you know, give the slightest attention to that. Because it, it, it is... It is something that the flesh won't ask you permission for. The flesh will just take stuff. See, with the Spirit, you have to incline your heart to the things of God. You have to use your intentionality. You have to be intentional about inclining into the Spirit because God is not an intruder. He's a gentleman and He wants your will so he will not infringe upon your will. He will ask, are you willing? And if you say yes, then he says, come and drink of the water. But the devil, he don't ask for permission. He will intrude. He will rape. He will uh, violate. That's why you don't have, the flesh will not ask for permission. If there's a little crack, it will try to get in and it will seize you. Is this not what the Lord said to Cain? He says, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. The word there, desire, is the same word that is used for the woman, namely Eve, when it said Eve will desire to have her husband. It wasn't talking about sexually. It meant that she will desire to illegally rule over him that's what sin wants to do to you it wants to illegally rule over you and it will not ask you if you're okay with it amen that's why this you know they say the the sin you know sin wants will say hey are you willing to go a a, a, a centimeter uh, or a meter or whatever a kilo, not a kilometer um i'm trying to use a your guys' metric system in Europe. I, I don't think you guys use inches. You guys you guys use centimeters, right? Or meters. Um <coughs> meters? Centimeter would be two in, two centimeters, one inch. Okay. Um okay, yeah, you guys use centimeters. Alright. What it will ask you to go a centimeter or inch or whatever, and it'll take you a mile, it'll take you a kilometer, right? It'll take you five kilometers. It'll take you five miles. Um, it's the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season that 
that will deceive you. Is this not why the Bible says, um, in some, it says, uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, but exhort one another daily in so much as you see the day approaching, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Amen. So we need to constantly be reminded lest sin deceives our heart. Because the moment you say, I got this, is the moment that sin is about to seize you. There is never a time that you should not be on your guard. The Apostle Peter says, Be sober and vigilant, for the devil, your adversary, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He didn't say just coast on and chill and do what you want and become so insulated with pride and arrogance that you think that you got this without the help of the Holy Ghost and the help of your uh, family in Christ. Right? You know how deceitful sin is? When a brother or sister attacks you a verse and you're inclined to get offended, who do they think they are? What are they trying to say? See, the devil and the flesh will use any and everything to rob you of a message that God wants to get to you. Because sin is deceitful. Amen? So the, 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 the devil will have you to get your eyes fixed off the message and start looking at the messenger or the words that were used. I don't like that this person isn't eloquent or I like that he is eloquent or I, I want it to be coming from a man and not a woman or I want it to come from a woman and not a man. There's all these uh, ridiculous excuses that the devil wants to persuade you are legitimate so that you... Don't pay attention to the message. Amen. I don't like the way he inflects his voice. I don't like uh, the word that he always uses. He uses that word too much in his vocabulary. You know how ridiculous that is? How petty? It's petty. But it's also deceitful. Because there's nothing spiritual about that process of thought. There's nothing spiritual in the slightest about that way of thinking. <clears throat> and so that's why if you don't know how to get out of your emotions, you won't last as a believer. Someone said something and now you want to sulk in that for an entire uh, week, right? You, you want to sulk in feelings of offense, feelings of lust, feelings of pride, Feelings of, uh, of offense, feelings of arrogance, feelings of whatever. And the, the Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. Amen? That means the devil wants to lock onto you and grab your foot, and then that foot hold becomes a stronghold if you allow it t long enough time for a base a military base of the devil to be established in your mind and heart. And then now you need deliverance. You know, I know the, the typical American evangelical church don't believe this stuff. Oh, you know, a Christian can't have demons. They're so, they're theologized to sleep. 
See, you know, these theologians sing lullabies to each other, you know, but, but with, with their theology, that's what slumbers them to sleep. Is this intellectualized Christianity that is devoid of power. It has no spiritual insight. Kind of like this Ruslan guy. I can't stand this guy. He always is so nonchalant about spiritual things. He thinks that you can drink that liquid death stuff that witches are speaking incantations over and cursing, and he's just nonchalant about it. Oh, yeah, you know, my freedom in Christ, my liberty. No, you're, you're stupid because you're lacking spiritual insight. And I can say that and not be arrogant because Paul said it to the Corinthians. He says, you, you fools, you're stupid. Well, Ruslan's a fool. I have no shame in that because you know why? Because he mocks spiritual things. He always mocks them. And then he gets the right people on that are like real, real heady. They're real intellectual to try to, you know, smudge everything up. Oh, you know, you can do this and you can listen to worldly rap and you can get tattoos and you can just look like a buffoon. Right. And then we'll just we'll label it freedom in Christ. That's what we'll do. And then we'll accuse everybody of legalism. Yeah, that sounds real good. And it's just ridiculous. You know, he, he, he loves Halloween. And, and see, the thing is, I know this might offend people, but remember, Paul name dropped. And because Ruslan is such a big name, I, I don't have any shame in name dropping this guy. And I'm not trigger happy about it. I'm not witch hunting. You know, I, I'm not that type of person. But when there's a relevant point to make, sometimes it's important to mention their names like Paul did. Paul said, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. Watch out for these guys. And now I'm not saying Ruslan is a heretic. I'm not saying he's a heretic or he's going to hell even. I'm just saying that he's compromising a lot of his theology that he likes to share out there in the open. And he likes to blur lines a lot of the time. Just enough holy so you can't say he's not a Christian. But just, you know, uh, uh, enough holy to where you can't say he's not a Christian. But, you know, a, a, a little bit of worldly, too, to where a lot of people of the world are real cool with them. Or a lot of lukewarm, right? I hope that this doesn't offend anybody. <coughs> His name is Ruslan. This is... But the point that I was making is, and then Marcus Rogers said something about him, too is because he he was saying that it's okay for everybody to drink this stuff called liquid death. And there was a literal video of a true bona fide witch speaking incantations and curses over this and summoning demons into the liquid. And he, he went on his show cracking open a liquid death and started drinking it as if it was just cool. And he just, he was dismissive of that. See, this is why... Y'all following? Y'all with me? The reason why this is bad is because you're just giving a, uh, Christians a ticket to become cursed. And if you don't think, see, this is why, you know, that, that, that Plato, Greco, sort of Socratic, Western, Grecian way of thinking, that sort of 
analytical mind will get you into trouble because you'll just dismiss spiritual things like that. How can a demon possess liquid? They can. They can possess property. They can possess objects. This is why Paul, the anointing was on Paul's handkerchief. This is why the prophet of old, in the Old Testament, his bones still had the anointing on them. The, 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 the anointing can still reside on an object and what is true for God is also true of the devil. This is why God resided in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a thing that was constructed by man. And God dwelt in it. You see? Why were the idols... Why did they get so upset when you destroyed their idol? Is because the thing that the demon inhabited when it didn't have a living vessel, would dwell in an actual constructed ark or altar or a, 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 a temp, a, a, excuse me, a statue of Baal, right? And, and the same thing that is true for those temples and statues and all that stuff is true for liquid. This is why when Jesus, you remember when that, that storm arose? The same word that is used to rebuke demons is the same Greek word that was used when it said Jesus rebuked the storm. Amen. There were demonic entities that were manipulating the weather. And so if you want to drink liquid death that witches have cursed and put spells on, then more power to you. But, um, you know, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm sad for the body of Christ because of the lack of insight into these things. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, people just laugh it off. Oh, it's just a joke. It's not a joke. The people of the world don't see it as a joke and they know it's not a joke. They know it's real. They know it's real and they know it works. See, why, why would the devil persuade them to become so committed to that if it doesn't work? The devil's like, hey, you know, it's been what, over 10,000 years of him deceiving humanity? And you don't think by now that he might have caught the drift if it didn't work for him to just stop doing it? It's kind of like the people who say that Christianity is just made up by man. But it's like, why is it preaching against everything man wants? Amen. But anyways, I just, again, I'm not saying he's going to hell. I'm not saying he's a heretic. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes that fame gets to people's heads and they start just saying stuff that p pleases an audience. So that they are not viewed as a legalist. They're not viewed as, oh, he's one of those strict fundamental Christians. Um, <clears throat> but let, let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, actually, this is very fitting because I was praying yesterday. 
I believe the Lord directed me to a passage and just having left off on the snow, I think it's very, I think uh, the text is very relevant to what I was just saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, and we're going to do a bit of reading. <coughs> I don't know where we will go with this passage. Um <coughs> But, and and today, um, I'm using the ESV version, so in case you wanted to follow along, you feel more than welcome to follow along <clears throat> uh, using that version. Just switched it up today. Um, so, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. <clears throat> From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh... We regard him thus no longer. Now, let me just stop there real quickly. What does it mean that we don't regard him after the flesh? Because after all, we use fleshly eyeballs to perceive things, right? Uh, we use our fleshly brain to reason. What does it mean that he wasn't regarding Christ any longer after the flesh? Well, let me, let me give you some insight to a couple of things here. First of all, when you see the word flesh... Many times, not all the time, but many times it's referring, it can refer to the law. Now, the reason why it may say flesh versus the law, right? There, there's an important reason why it may say in one case the law, in the other case the flesh. Like for example, in Romans, where Paul talks about dying to the flesh, in the same context he's talking about dying to the law. That he might be married to another. So many times, not all the time, again, now let me stress that, okay? Um, but many times, where wherever the Bible talks about flesh, it also is referred to as the law, okay? <clears throat> now, in John chapter 3, where Jesus says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom. Well, what does he mean by that? He's not talking, here's one other thing you have to take note of. When Jesus says the kingdom, don't immediately think he's referring to where God is. As if he's talking about heaven, like, oh, I won't be able to see heaven. I won't be able to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. What was the context? The context was Nicodemus was going to Jesus and was saying, look, we know you are sent from God because the one who performs these miracles cannot do it unless he is sent from God, right? And then Jesus is basically saying, hey, if, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Where does Jesus come up with this abrupt statement? What relationship does it have with G Nicodemus's question? It's because Jesus is getting at the heart of the matter. Because even though some people seen Jesus walk in miracles, some in inferred that he was only Elijah the prophet. Some inferred that he was only this or he was only that, even based off the miracles he performed. But what did Peter? What did Jesus say to Peter? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh has not has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. What was the confession of faith that Peter made? And it was this: You are the Christ. 
So Peter was able to see the kingdom. Okay. This is why, I don't know if you've ever read one of the accounts of the Gospels, when they heard the voice from heaven, the apostles heard it as the voice of the Father, another group heard it as an angel, and the other group heard it as thunder. It's the same noise, but one was able to see and to hear the kingdom. The others did not have the ability to because they were not born again. Is that making sense? So when Paul is saying that we're no longer referring, that we no longer regard Christ after the flesh, and remember, because he, he says, at one time we did. What time was that? When Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church and thought Jesus was a heretic preaching a false, got, uh, false doctrine. Until he got knocked off his, road, his horse in the road of Damascus, he seen, ah, you are the Lord. Right? So I, I'm persecuting the one uh, that I, I, I thought I was serving. Amen? Y'all following along so far? So this is why, this is why in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 it says, The carnal man doesn't receive that which the spirit man does, for it is foolishness to him. Indeed, he cannot. Why? Because he still has the natural mind. And his mind needs to be renewed by the Holy Ghost in order for him to be given a new mind. And that mind is the mind of Christ. This is why Paul says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. But God revealed these things to us by his Spirit. So you want to know how to rely on the voice of God, to see God, to see what He's doing, is to get in the Spirit and not to rely on the intellect. That doesn't mean that God is anti-intellect or God doesn't approve of the intellect, but God is above it. And in order for you to come into agreement and connection with what God is doing and who God is, it takes for God's Spirit in order to do that. Amen. That's why Paul says, who knows the thoughts of the man except the spirit of the man in him? Similarly, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God? God has given us his spirit so that we may freely, we may know the things freely given to us by God. So I don't have access to your thoughts. You know why? Because I don't have your spirit. You have your spirit. You are your spirit. That's why you can freely think. Well, God's spirit freely thinks. And the only way we have access to his thoughts is for us to be given his spirit. So you want to know if you have the spirit of God? Can you read the scriptures and see Christ in it? Can you hear Christ? Can you say, I know those are the things of God. I know that's God. I know that's God's word. That's why Apostle John says that whoever rejects us rejects him who sent us. Amen. They that are not of God heareth not us, but they that are of God hears us. Here's what? Here's the gospel. Is it any wonder why when you spread the gospel or you share the message of Christ, the world doesn't hear you? Why? Because the world is not of God. Amen. Amen. 
So, but, <coughs> but what does he mean that we regard no one after the flesh? So it's not just Jesus, he says, that we don't regard after the flesh. He says there, there's other people that we don't regard after the flesh. He says it right here. He says, uh, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, what he means by that is this. You have to understand, we won't go there. Um, I will just read it, but um, you have to understand what he's talking about in chapters prior. <coughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, um, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And then it says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And and then he talks about how he has this treasure in earthen vessels, um, the excellent, so that the excellency of the power of God may be manifest. And so Paul is talking about how, look, we are not after the old covenant. We are after the new covenant. And, and Paul is having to stress this. Why? Because there were the so-called super apostles that had come into the Corinthian church who were false ministers deceiving the Corinthian church and persuading them against Paul. And Paul is saying, yo, what's up with that? You are our letters. You are the testament. You are a demonstration. You are evidence that we are in fact true ministers of the new covenant. Why? Because we, through the gospel, have begotten you. And so he's trying to tell these Corinthian churches that what these super apostles are telling them about Silas and about Paul and about Timothy are a false report. And that Paul is not, in fact, a false minister, but in fact, true. And that those that are imposters are just posing to be true ministers. This is why once we come all the way to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Because Paul wants the Corinthian church to stop viewing him after the flesh. Okay? And this is why once we get to chapter 6, uh, from verses um, 4 and onward, it says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. So Paul is saying, you Corinthians, stop viewing us after the flesh. 
We are ministers of Christ after the new covenant. Therefore, accept us as such. Does that make sense? Amen. You know, I remember uh, I just recently went to an old uh, block of mine to hang out with, you know, some some, you know, people from the past. Um, and I stopped by occasionally, you know, to let my light shine before those in darkness. And, uh, you know, there were some, you know, young kids there that know me from back in the day. And, uh, but they know that I love the Lord. And so, you know, one of them cussed and he went like that. He cussed his mouth, you know, he, he, he clasped his hand over his mouth. And he said, I'm sorry. And I appreciated that because even sometimes people in the world will recognize that you are holy. And they won't try to minimalize or, or to diminish or to discredit that you are different than them. They will say, oh man, you're God's man. Amen. They won't try to say, you know, Amen. now I'm not saying all of them are like that. You know, there are some that they don't care. But the ones that do, that, that shows that there's still an element of a fear of God in them. <clears throat> and, 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 and don't make light of that. They may not be in the light, but hey, there were pagans in the Old Testament that were Gentiles that when they seen the light of God, like, uh, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Rahab. They're like, oh, I know these are messengers from God. They're spies of God. Let me hide them. Because I want the blessings of God for my life. I don't want to be cursed Amen. along with all these other people. Amen. And, and you know, self-righteous religious people will say, nah, forget her. But the fact that she feared the Lord, and we know that she feared the Lord because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, she would not be uh, recorded in the catalog of those who had faith. And yet, she is praised as someone who had faith and who feared the Lord. Right? Amen, somebody. Yeah. Amen. But continuing on, continuing onward, but the point that I, I, bring, I bring that up to make this point is that, <coughs> is that even sometimes people in the world, they will... <clears throat> respect that someone is a Christian. And it doesn't mean that they will even, you know, repent or change, you know, which is, of course, a bad thing. You know, we want to see them repent. But at least, you know, th there's this recognition that you're just not some average chump. You're not just, you know, a, a you know, because today there are some people that are so lost, so called evil, good and good evil. But there are still some who sit in darkness and they, they know like, man, I'm doing wrong. Here comes the light. <laughs> here, here, here comes the light. You know, um, but nonetheless, it, but yet there are religious people in the church. And this is, I have a, such a high intolerance for people like that. You know, the cessationists who, who will, 
they, they will see tongues and they will see demons cast out and they they will they will mock it and they'll say it's not from God. You know what do you do? I've had pagans, I've had bona fide witches. When I gave a word of knowledge to a witch, they knew that God was on me. Amen. But yet, you know, I, the cessationists, oh no, it was just a lucky guess. You're just some, uh, you just have good guessing skills. <laughs> you got lucky. It's just, it's, it's sad, man. It's sad. It's so sad. I, I, I hope, I hope that you guys think that's sad. Because, you know, on the one hand, you got people that think they're demigods. If they're walking in the miraculous. That's ugly too. Man. Where they want a red carpet to be rolled out for them or all this nonsense. That's nonsense. You know, I seen one where this guy, he, he gave a word of knowledge and he dropped the mic and walked out of the... I'm like, who do you think you are? Uh-uh. That's... That's ugly. That's foul. That's disgusting. Mm -mm. To me, you're, you're trash if you're doing that. You're not, you're not worthy to even hold that microphone if you think that's what it's all about. And in fact, the, the, the fact of the matter is all he told her was her middle name. Bad for her life. Can you tell her that? See, the true spirit of prophecy isn't just telling you how much money is in your bank account. Great. Cool. What's the will of God for my life? What's the direction the Lord wants to take me? That is what a true prophet will do is to prophesy the will of God over you. And sometimes it's a word that you don't want to hear. Hey, you're going this direction. You don't want to go that way. The Lord says, stop. Amen. Oh, but they don't want to say that. You know why? Because the numbers will drop. They'll say, oh, just tell me all that I want to hear. First, tell me, uh, you know, the number of my bank account, and then tell me that uh, I'm going to get everything I want. Yeah. Ooh, that feels good. Scratch my ear. Oh, right there. Right? That's what they do. They... It's sad, man. But on the other spectrum, you have those that will say that people, genuine ministers that walk in that, they'll say, oh, uh, they're heretics. They're false teachers. They're false prophets. And it looks so good and because they're so deceitful. Those men are liars. And they're going to have to give an account to God for that. That garbage doctrine. You know why? Because I, I, it hurts my heart that they're leading so many sheep away that are gullible and feeble-minded to believe that. And now they're just parroting everything they've been taught. And now they're teaching their kids to also not accept it either. 
It's a sad tragedy, man. It's very sad. But nevertheless, Paul says, <coughs> verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, let me just quickly break this down to you. It's not meaning, it doesn't mean what the average person thinks it means. Okay? A lot of people think, I am a new creature. As if, like, you were creature A, now you're creature B. No. Um, you have to, again, understand context. This is why, you know, this is something I'll stress, is what is the context? And the second thing, what is the logical flow of thought? So you can't just take this verse in isolation and say, hey, I know the meaning. No, take some steps back and ask the question, what was Paul saying before here? Okay? Right? Because, <laughs> let me just share this. It's a letter, right? Paul didn't write this as, Uh, a daily devotional. Mornings with Jesus. <laughs> right? 30 days of mornings with Jesus. Right? Oh, come on, y'all. <laughs> I'm not saying that's bad, okay? If you think I'm saying that's bad, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... That the book of 2 Corinthians is not that. It's a letter. And just because you can only sometimes happen to get one or two chapters out of your read. Doesn't mean that the Corinthians did. They read it from beginning to end. Y'all following? Are we still here? The reason why I ask is because sometimes people fall asleep or they, they... no, I just say with Jesus, could you not watch with me one hour? <laughs> you know what's worse is if you 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 intend on you you like okay I'm gonna just act like I'm there and I'm gonna just go back to sleep. That's deceitful. You you got the uh. Uh, spirit of Jacob. You know, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a real uh, uh, thick hair on my arm and have my father touch it so he think, you know, I'm Esau. I'm gonna just log in so Pastor Greg thinks I'm here and thinks I'm here in the Word of the Lord. <laughs> Jacob, deceitful little you. Hey, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. You know why? Because that's the native language of the devil. And if you're living a life of characteristic, habitual lying, you're not far from looking like him. Our God tells the truth. Mm-hmm. That means you're not lying on your tax returns. That means you're not lying to your neighbor. That means you're not stretching the truth. It means all that. 
Amen. That means when you're looking for a spouse, you don't tell them, yeah, I'm not in debt. Yeah, I got everything in order on your Christian dating site. Uh, 180 pounds, right? You, you, you chisel off 40 pounds, right? In your bio. (laughs) Come on. You know, it's true. People do stuff like that. Don't allow it to be you. Okay. <clears throat> Paul David says that the man of God that fears the Lord, he says he swears to his own hurt. Yeah. You know, there's times I had to tell the truth when it hurt. Like, ah, oh, this is going to get me in trouble, man. I'm not going to be liked. You know, see, the the misconception people have about preachers, people, you know, people think, oh, you know, because so-and-so has a microphone, you know, oh, look, I wish I could say that. No, you don't. You want to be able to say certain things that ends up being good messages from the Lord that ends up giving you a standing ovation and an applause and an audience that's like, man, that was an amazing message. But how about when the Holy Spirit tells you to tell someone something that will make them angry at you? I I remember this one church called me to preach and the Lord told me that some of their leading members were behind the scenes fornicating. I don't know what you thought you were inviting. If I was going to be some person that's going to hype you all up, get your attendance up. No, I'm coming straight with a dagger at your heart. I, I, I might be friendly, but I'm not your friend. I'm a minister of the gospel sent from him to tell you what you need to be told. Yeah. Not because I want to. I didn't take this honor upon myself, but been commissioned of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I remember behind that pulpit weeping with tears in my eyes saying, you guys are playing games with God. Pen drop silence. Never invited me back. And the church came to nothing, sadly. And some of the leaders were smoking meth. They were having sex and sleeping with each other. It all came out later. But you know what? All these all these goofy uh, people around the city, you know, want to go over there, sing their song, rap their thing, you know, go give a message. They just... You know, having fellowship and as if everything's all cool. And I'm telling them, like, everything's not cool. That that church is dis... God is angry with them. Oh, but they don't want to believe you, right? Because they'll say it's legalism. See, that's, that's the true test of spirituality when you're told stuff that all these other dwarf Christians won't believe you on. And can you still stick to your guns and believe it and preach it and stick to it? When everybody else is thinking you're a fool for building an ark, you're still out there. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Everyone just mocking you and ridiculing you. Can you still believe the message that God has spoken to you? Amen. Hallelujah. 
Can you? That's where faith comes into play. But if you're all up in your feelings, you won't believe the Lord. You're going to believe what all these other dwarfs out here are telling you. You know, someone got upset at me some time years back for saying that. I'm like, well, what do you want me to say? You're a giant in the spirit? You're not a giant. You're a dwarf. I don't say that to be insulting, but it's a characteristic of you. Jesus said worse things me. He says you're pigs, you're foxes, you're, you know, he said all of those things. He didn't do that to try to get people to hate him. Right? Yeah. But if it's true, it's true. And what I mean by dwarf is that they're underdeveloped. And because they're underdeveloped, their perception isn't developed, their sight isn't perception uh, isn't developed, their hearing isn't developed, their stature isn't developed, and so they will say things that a little kid will say. And they'll point the finger at you and say, you're the crazy one. And if you get enough fingers to point at you saying, you're the crazy one, you just might end up folding and saying, hey man, do, do I belong in an insane asylum? No. You know, I had to learn that when I was a young believer. Some people are saying, stop being judgmental. Stop being a legalist. And I thought, man, am I being a self-righteous because I was questioning myself? But then when I began to see them all fall by the wayside, this person is using drugs, this person is getting drunk, this person is sleeping with every uh, man in the church, then who's wrong? And I'm still walking holy. That's not to go like this, but I'm, it, it's just to say, hey, man, it, I understand now why you were saying all that. Because don't judge really meant let me sin in peace. Man. Or turn the volume of that conviction down because it's just, I don't like it. Man. You know, but like uh, my brother uh, Colton Kelly, I, I love one of his quotes. He says, I'd rather... Offend you into heaven, then comfort you to hell. Amen. But nonetheless, um, <coughs> the new creation is talking about the the temple. It's a new temple, and and Paul Paul. See, because Paul is contrasting between the old covenant and saying we're not those old ministers. We're not writing in tablets of stone. We're writing to you your your letter of recommendation written by the Spirit. And so he's saying, now if you're in Christ, you're a part of that new creation. There's a new priesthood, there's a new temple, there's a new age. But nonetheless, as we as we go on forward, um, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Now, here's something I want to clarify. You know, have you heard the um, 
Have you heard, have you heard uh, what's his name, Stephen Furtick? Um, some some theologians have accused him of what's called narcissus. Okay, now let me break down for you what exegesis is. I've said this before. All it is, ek is the Greek preposition that means to draw out from. Okay, so exegesis is drawing out from the text. Well, as you can imagine, the word narcissist means like lover of self. And so narcissus is to read yourself into the Bible. And that's what Stephen Furtick often does. He loves to read himself into the Bible. And which can get you into some trouble. The reason why I bring that point up is this. When we're reading the scriptures, you have to be careful to avoid of reading yourself in the Bible because not everything that's written in the Bible is written to you. Excuse me. Not Everything in the Bible is not written to you. It's all written to the first century audience. But there are some things that are not applicable to you. Does that make sense? For example... The command for wives to love their husbands is not a command for the husband. Right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord in all things. Is that something that applies to adults? No. Amen? No. Wives, love your husbands. Does that apply to the widow? No. Okay, so there are some commands that become awakened to you depending on certain circumstances. The moment you get married, there you now open the realm of certain commands that now apply to you, whereas they didn't before, right? The moment I entered into ministry, there were commands that were awakened to me that did not apply to me before. Well, when Paul is talking about here, he says that God committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't mean you. Okay, so just because you see Paul saying this doesn't mean that you can then snag that verse and say God is referring to me as well. That doesn't work like that. Does that make sense? Amen? If it doesn't, you can just say if it doesn't make sense. Uh, can you like explain uh, what you mean by like... Yeah, I guess because you're saying that mainly everybody picks that verse to kind of mean like their new life in Christ. Uh, is that like... So that's not what that means? It just means Paul's new life as a minister? No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not connecting verse 17 with, with this verse. The point that I'm trying to make here is the ministry of reconciliation is not for every Christian. Okay, okay. I get what you mean then. Amen. Sorry. Just like confused. Also good. Well, thank you for asking. So the point that I'm making here is that the ministry of reconciliation is not what is committed to every Christian. Amen. Okay, and the reason why I have to clarify this is because there are some people, and you see a lot of them, especially the, the young 18, 19-year-old Christian influencers that will go out there, and trust me, I love their sincerity. I'm not trying to knock them for the sincerity. And I, I believe they have a true compassion for people. But they'll say, you need to be going out here and doing this too. 
You need to be going out and winning souls too. You need to be reconciling people back to Jesus or back to the Father. That's not true. And and I have people argue with me left and right saying, Oh, you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me this, you mean to tell me that? Yes, I do mean to tell you that because the Bible told you that. But instead, you're wanting to believe the traditions of men because you hear it so often that you just don't question it. Amen. Yeah, so the point that I'm making, look, let's turn, uh, Sister Laura, let's turn back to, uh, again, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul is saying God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If Paul said to the Corinthians, God gave you the ministry of reconciliation, that would be a different matter. But Paul's saying God gave it to us. And who was the us? You learn who the us is in... um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So he's referring to himself and Timothy, saying God gave us gave us this. That's why he tells Timothy in uh, 2 Corinthians, do the work of an evangelist. Right? Yeah. See, this is the point that I bring up. Okay, if the Great Commission which is the ministry of reconciliation. And what is the Great Commission? Go ye all, you know, on to the, uh, the, the uttermost parts of the world, making disciples, baptizing them, you know, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. If that is applicable for everybody, if everybody has to do that, you know what that means? The vast majority of Christians are disobedient because they've never baptized a single person. Because if you're going to say you have to preach the gospel, then that means you also should be baptizing people. Okay, well, how many people did you baptize? You've been in the faith, what, 10 years, 20 years, and you haven't baptized anybody? Ah, okay. Then either that's true, right, and the vast majority of Christians are disobedient, or it's not true, and it only applied to a certain group. And guess what? It did. You know why? Because in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 28, when he gives the Great Commission, he calls forth his 12, well, 11, because Judas had already betrayed Jesus. He called the 11. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. And so, this is what Paul says, verse 20, Therefore, we, well, let me just real quickly break down the ministry, the, the, because it says the ministry of reconciliation, that is Christ, uh, that, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Um, <coughs> so Paul is saying, what is the ministry of reconciliation? It is going about spreading the message of the gospel which is Christ died, was buried, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. That is the gospel. Okay? And the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. This is why you see Philip, who was spreading the gospel of the kingdom, had gone into territories casting demons out. Excuse me. Healing the sick. Right? 
You see the apostles doing this. And Jesus Jesus gave them authority to do this. Let, let us, in fact, let's turn there real quickly. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. <coughs> And as you're turning there, I want to read one other verse. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. This is what Paul says. Paul says, working together with him. Who's the him? The him there is God. Paul is saying, us, Timothy and Paul, working together with God. Right? Then we appeal to you. So he's already making a separation. There's the we, me and Timothy, and then there's the you. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. So Paul is saying, receive the grace of salvation that is necessary for reconciliation. You be reconciled to God, right? And he and and this is and we know that he's saying this, right? Because, um, excuse me, where is it at? Watch again, chapter five, verse twenty. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal. Through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is saying, look, we're ambassadors. We're telling you, you be reconciled to God. Because to us was committed the ministry of reconciliation. Does that make sense? So when we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1, <clears throat> It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he, he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So who are the laborers there? Jesus is speaking about the laborers, correct? Who are the laborers? The disciples, his apostles. Well, here, here it's the 72. And we can argue that they're apostles. We can argue that because they were sent. And apostles, apostolos means sent ones. But, you know, that that's, I, I don't want to make that case. But we do know that they were nevertheless ministers. And God, that Jesus had conferred authority to them to be laborers in the field because he says the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few so there there is there's a harvest there's a field and there are labors in the field do you see that yeah. and this is the same commission that he had commissioned the 12 apostles on in Luke chapter 9 verse 1 
And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What did we say was the ministry of reconciliation? The gospel of the kingdom. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to people. Right? And what did he say? Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, and all this other stuff, right? And verse... um. And it says, verse 6, And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So do you see already um, <coughs> that there's a separation? Right? There's there's a delineation here. Did anybody happen to have like, confused about that so far? Or are we all understanding that? And this is why, look, if you turn to second, um, I believe it's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He who plants and he who waters are one. Where do you water, water and plant on? On a, on a field. Where were the ministers sent out to? The field. Right? The, har the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Well, how many labors were there? 72. That's a few. For this huge, huge field. Right? And then, but what does Paul say? He says this. For we are God's fellow workers. We are. You are God's field. God's building. Do you see the separation? Amen. There are laborers who go out into the field and reap a harvest. And then there's the field that is harvested. This is why Jesus, the apostles asked them about whether they should take the tares out from the field, right? You remember that? Is there's wheat and tares in the field? Amen. Or the harvester went out scattering seed, and there were some that grew up among the thorns, and some among this, and some among that, right? Let us turn to another verse just so that you know I'm not lying. I'll get to your questions here shortly. First uh, Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> verse 17 through 18. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. No, my apologies. My apologies. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child... Now, notice... That this is Paul writing to Timothy. We already established that Timothy was a minister. Right? Because Paul was including Timothy along with himself in 2 Corinthians when saying it was committed to us, the ministry of reconciliation. Right? And he also tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Right? So, 
In this letter, you see Paul giving Timothy descriptions of how he wants the church to look like. Are you going to give that to someone who does who isn't leading the church? No, you won't give it to them. You're going to give it to the one who has oversight over the flock. So this is a letter to Timothy. You have to keep that in mind because there's a lot of pastoral duties that he's telling Timothy to observe, right? So he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. People say, oh, we all got to disciple people. That's not true. That is just not true. Matthew 28, 19. The, the call to make disciples was given to the apostles to disciple others, to make students, to, to learn the ways of the master. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? And so he's telling Timothy, look, teach others that will be able to also teach others. In other words, raise up other leaders and elders. This is what he also tells Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may appoint elders in every city. Okay, y'all following so far? <clears throat> to be able to teach uh, to, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, here he gives an analogy. He gives he gives three different analogies. Soldier. Let's read it first and I'll point out the analogy. A soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he compete according to the rules. Is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding of everything. Paul, Timothy is described as a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. Do the farmers work in the field? Yes. So in the kingdom, there is a separation between civilian and soldier. Field, farmer. Athlete, audience. Right? So Paul is writing to Timothy, a minister of the gospel. You are a farmer in God's field. And this is why he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, the hard worker, those who labor in the word, is worthy of his wages, which is the exact same thing Jesus told us in Luke chapter uh, 10, the one we read about him commissioning in 72. He says, if anybody presents you anything to eat before them, eat what is set before you, for the hire is worthy of his wages. Y'all understand so far? I'm going somewhere with this. And the reason why I think this is so important is for a number of reasons that we will get to. Um, <coughs> any questions so far about that? We'll be coming to a close here shortly. But... The reason why this is so important is so, well, first of all, so that those who are not called to the ministry of reconciliation won't feel condemned and guilty their whole life. 
that they're not doing what they can't do and they can't do it because they don't have the grace for it. No. Right? Amen. Look, my brothers and sisters, how many demons have you cast out? And let me let me say this. For some of you, in about a year's time, that will change and the numbers will be high. For others of you, it will be 10 or 20 years and it will still be zero. I guarantee you. Mark my words. I guarantee you it will still be the same. You know why? Because God hasn't called you to that. Okay. Again. We, we have to, who in the Gospels, who in the book of Acts or in the Gospels has ever cast out a single demon that wasn't a minister? I'll wait. Give me one example. Now, there's this one passage that someone might share, and it's a mark of this obscure individual that wasn't, we don't give we're not given very much information about this individual. Right? And they'll try to use that to justify the claim, but I don't believe that that proves the point. But everywhere else, the only time you see someone that tried to do it ended up getting beat up by demons. Right? Yeah, and so my my answer to her question is no. I don't see everybody every every Christian should be resisting the devil. And every Christian has a right within your own home to not give place to the devil because you are a priest over your own home. The Bible says in 1 Peter that we are a a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Okay, but what's important about that is Peter is actually drawing from Exodus. And from the passage that he's drawing from Exodus, God told the entire nation of Israel, you are priests. Okay, but what's the difference? Because in the book of Leviticus, we see there's a priesthood in the priesthood. And that was the Levitical priesthood. And that they were to consecrate themselves and draw nearer to God in service of the temple. Right? So, as a general priesthood that Peter mentions in 1 Peter, which he's drawing from Exodus, which was referred to all of the nation of Israel and not just of Levitical priests, that means that you are a priest of your own home. So a husband is going to be a priest over his wife and over his children. And, and Or if you're not married, you're still a priest over your own home. Right? That means that is your domain of authority. That is your jurisdiction of authority. And you are entrusted to make sure that is a godly home where there is no satanic activity in. And if there is, God's going to hold you responsible for that. So to come now... Because some people, because I have to make this distinction because um, people say, well, then if, if I'm not a minister, what, what role do I have to, you know, can I even resist the devil? Yes, you can. The Bible says to resist. But 
Resisting the devil is not the same thing as casting out a devil. Because when he's talking about resisting the devil, he's saying that in the context of resisting the temptations that he brings your way. Jesus resisted the devil in the wilderness. Was he casting out a demon? No. So to answer the question, no, not everybody has authority to cast out demons. Everybody has the power to resist the devil, which is why there should be no excuse for you to sin. But the Bible doesn't give us any biblical precedence to justify the belief that you have authority to cast out a demon if you aren't a minister. Now, some people feel like that's that's wrong. But my, my response is always this. Show me then. Show me anywhere in the Bible that the Bible says that the person who isn't a minister has authority and you can't find it. I guarantee you cannot find it. They will go either to Luke chapter 10, which we just read, or Luke chapter 9, which in context he's referring to the 72 and the 12 who were apostles, sit in the field as legal representatives and ambassadors of Christ himself. Okay, Or they will go to Matthew 28, 19. Go make disciples of all nations. Which again, he was referring to the 11. Some will go to Mark 16. Which is only a reiteration or another perspective of Matthew 28. Okay, y'all following? Not only that. You just don't see a single example of a demon ever being cast out by someone other than a minister. Now, someone might say, I know someone who casts out a demon, who doesn't have the title pastor. Who, Who says that you have to have a title in order for you to actually have the call? Some people have the call, but they don't got the title. Okay. Now... I want you to I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Um now this isn't about this isn't about boasting in the flesh or boasting in men. This has nothing to do with that. <coughs> As someone that you know, because I, I get a lot of DMs of people asking me questions. Random people sometimes. Some, sometimes others refer different people to me and stuff like that. And so, you know, I get I get DMs. And a, a very common thing that I have come up is, am I going to hell if I'm not preaching the gospel? I haven't won anybody to Christ. I feel guilty. I've, I've heard this countless of times. And so while you have a lot of guys on YouTube hyping everybody up, telling them they must be doing it, I'm just going like this. No, they're not. They're supposed to be doing other things for God. And the reason why it never happens in their life is because the grace of God won't lead you to where the grace of God won't keep you where the grace of God hasn't led you. See, you're, you're, you're looking to cast out demons when God is saying, start a business. 
you're looking to uh, baptize people when God said, uh, start your own hair salon. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's less pleasing to God. No, it's not. You know, you know the person that has the call of God on their life and is, is doing ministry for selfish motives? If you're a hairstylist and you're doing it with pure motives to do it as best as you can as a, as a, a, a child of God, you will be rewarded much more than them. Amen. You know why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. If God said stand next to a pole and look stupid, then you better do it. Why are you standing next to that pole? I don't know. Who told you to be here? God. How long are you staying here? I don't know. You know why he told you to do it? I don't. All I know is he told me to do it and I got to be obedient. Because, see, what happens is God will tell you, he says, Naaman, go dip yourself in that water seven times. And the natural mind will say, like Naaman did, I don't like these waters. Why can't I just go to these ones over here? I don't want to work in this dang factory. I don't want to work among these people. I don't want to do this. I'd rather do this for God. But you know what? God didn't tell you to do it. So do what you've been told to do and be obedient. Amen, somebody. Amen. Obedience Amen. is better than sacrifice. So it doesn't matter if you knock on every door in your city until your knuckles bleed. If Jesus didn't tell you to do that, you're not pleasing to him. Amen. Hey, I'm just here to tell you about the good news Amen. of Jesus Christ. And God is over here telling you, what are you doing? But on the other hand, there's ministers that are called to the gospel, right? But they, they just want to go and live their own life in, in a nine-to-five job. They're running from the call of the Lord. And it works both ways. There's ministers that are called to the ministry that don't want to do it. And then there's people that aren't called but want to do it. Mm -hmm. See, you know what? There, there's a generation that needs better music made for the gospel. Made for the kingdom, uh, uh, the kingdom of God. So, you know, play your piano. Play your clarinet. Play your saxophone. Write music. Bake cupcakes. You know why? Because there's these trash companies out there that are doing it for LGBT and they'll put their little stinking rainbows on it. We need some Christian businesses that will start doing things for God and doing it with the strength that God provides. And you know what? Jesus is going to look at that. He's going to smell it. It's a sweet aroma to my nostrils because my children are obeying me. Amen. Does that make sense? So, you know, everybody has their part to play in the kingdom. And you know what? My brothers and sisters, I feel it by the Holy Ghost to say this. Some of your callings are going to look less attractive than the man with the microphone. 
Amen. It's going to less, look far less attractive. But you know what? If you knew the fights and the battles ministers w- went through, you wouldn't want it. That's not to be, uh, you know, to to speak pride or anything like that. It's just a fact of the matter. Look at look at what Paul went through. The vast majority of Christians didn't go through that. They had their own trials, don't get me wrong. And in times of severe, severe persecution, like the days of Nero, yeah, everybody kind of joined in with it. But you know the people that are preaching the gospel? They're always the ones to get flack in the media. Always the ones to be targeted. Their churches are targeted. Their family are targeted. I knew people out in Chicago. There were a stinking mob that came after them because they were preaching the gospel during the BLM. They had to flee an entire different state. Because these mobs were coming and blackmailing them, harassing them, beating up their children and everything. Ministers of the gospel. So, and Paul Paul makes it clear. He says, if we are suffering, it's for your comfort. Right? We're, we're coming to a close. I know I, I just have to establish this because you you may feel less than, but you shouldn't feel less than if, if God told you to do something and you're doing it. Right? Amen. Embrace that. Embrace it. Accept it because it's pleasing to God. The aim of our life isn't to do what we want. It's to please the Lord. It's to please Him. To please Him in all things. Um, you know, and 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 so what happens is you know, if I tried to be a gospel singer, I'm not going to be a blessing to the body. Right? It just is what it is. If I tried to be a baker, I'm not going to be a blessing to anybody. You're going to get like burnt cupcakes and everything. Right? I don't even know what what what's the temperature? What do I turn it to? What is this? Right? There's eggshell still in the cupcake. <laughs> There's some of you that are called as mechanics. And you 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 are inclined to think that just because it don't have Jesus's label on it, that it's somehow secular. There, for the Christian, nothing is separated from secular and holy. Everything in your life becomes holy when you say yes to Jesus. The school teacher, the counselor, the mechanic, the encourager, the the financial advisor. The entrepreneur, the one that has the gift of mercy, the one that has the gift of giving, 
everybody has their right. Everyone has their place. Okay? And so, let, let the ministers do their job and then let those who aren't to still do your job, right? And God is, has been pleased to do it this way. Paul, Paul says, God counted me faithful in putting me in the ministry. It says in Hebrews, no man takes this honor upon himself, but he that is called of God. Right? So it's the call of God. And, and, and God will grace you. And I feel this by the Spirit too. God will grace you to do what He's called you to do. Because some of the things that He is calling you to do, you feel timid about. You feel like I can't do. You feel like I'm not enough. You feel like I'm inadequate. You feel like I'm insufficient. You feel like there's no resources. Where's the money going to come? Where are the clients going to come? But it will come if you obey the Lord. You walk out by faith. He says, come out of the land because I have a land of promise that I have promised you. So you need to take one step at a time. Walk by faith, not by sight. Pray by faith, not by sight. Obey by faith and not by sight. And you will begin to see the blessing of the Lord because whenever a man or a woman obeys the Lord in the area that he is calling them to, the glory of God will rest upon it and favor will come. God will not forsake that work. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake everything you put your hand to because Christ is going before you. God is going before you. He has called you there too. And wherever the grace of God has led you, it will keep you. Amen. 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 He will not fail. You know why? Because it's Christ through you. It is the Holy Spirit through you. But the Holy Spirit won't move through you if you're doing what he told you not to do. You cannot expect God to back what he did not tell you to do. But if he told you to do something, he will back you with all of heaven's economy. So if it's resources you need, if it's kingdom partners you need, if it's assistance you need, he will supply everything from his infinite wells and resources of heaven. And it will not fail. The ship will not go down. Noah's ark didn't sink. You know, Titanic sunk because they did it without the power of God. That's why it sunk. They said that even God couldn't sink this. How are you going to blaspheme God and invoke his blessing at the same time? You watch Titanic sink with all of our modern technology and you have an, a man who knew little to nothing in the days of old but had God's favor on his life and he was able to construct something better than all of the committee that were assembled together to build Titanic. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. <coughs> Not by strength, not by might, but by my, by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It ain't by your strength. It ain't by your might. It's not by your intelligence. It's not by your wit. It's by the Holy Ghost that you get from A to B. Yeah. So, 
But people don't like that because it requires for you to get in the Spirit for you to walk by the Spirit. And the only way you can get in the Spirit is for you to pray by the Spirit's energy, by His might, and pray His will, and to worship Him. To say, Lord, I have no strength of my own. I have no power of my own. I have no might of my own. I have no knowledge of my own. I need your help. Will you come and help me, Lord? Does it not say in Isaiah that he dwells with those who are of a contrite and lowly heart? So the proud he knows from afar off, but he gives more grace to the humble. 